Welcome to American Players Theater Talk Backs to Go. I'm Buzz Kemper, and I invite you to take a walk up the hill with Orange Schroeder and me as Orange talks with actors David Daniel and Kelsey Brennan about APT's 2017 production of A Flea in Her Ear by Georges Fedeau, adapted by David Frank. We are going to be discussing A Flea in Her Ear by Georges Fedeau, and this is a French play another French play this season, adapted and directed by David Frank. And I have with me uh, two of APT favorites, David Daniel, who is playing the husband, Victor Emmanuel Chandebis, and Kelsey Brennan, who is his wife, Raymond Chandebis. And uh, this is really a fun play. It's a farce, and uh, the playwright was known for this Genre, and so I wanted to ask: um, Could one of you talk a little bit about the tradition of farce? What what does that mean? David's the expert on that. Well, uh, the, the like any theater <laughs> tradition, it's changed over the years. Um, and where we think of uh, how an American audience would think of, would think of it is the Warner Brothers cartoons that everyone grew up with, Bugs Bunny and the Road Runner, and it's humor through pain, that kind of thing, and it's putting normal people in extraordinary circumstances. That's where we find the humor is normal people in extraordinary circumstances. So to define farce as a particular style is difficult because a normal person in extraordinary circumstances can look visually many different ways. So one of the challenges we've had in this show, just as a group, is uh, trying to define that physical style, how much is too much and how little is too is not enough. So um, like the definition of farce, as it grows and changes over the years and each generation has a different viewpoint on it, we're trying to find our own definition of it physically on stage. So does slapstick um, figure into farce? I mean, A little bit. I mean, slapstick literally was a slap stick. It was two sticks that were tied together at one end, and you'd hit someone, and then those two sticks slapped together like that. And it was usually the, uh, the um, more powerful person, the master beating the servant. So that had particular connotations in Commedia dell'arte, a very specific kind of comedy. But pain is always funny. <laughs> and and what sort of pain is there in a flea in her ear? It's emotional pain. <laughs> no, no slapping. Oh, they're slapping. I mean, you'll get a little bit of everything. Kicking, Certainly. biting, punching. Yeah, all of that. Um, you know, right in the rear end, all that good stuff. But I think that. But I love that idea of normal people in extraordinary circumstances. That these are people that you would recognize, but the plot and the things that they step into <laughs> the situations that they find themselves in lead to that absurdity that I think is really great to laugh at. Now you've both, both mentioned normal people. These are in a way stock characters, aren't they? And yes. how do you bring them to life? How do you give them personality? Well, I think, I, I think there is also something to be gained by leaning into the stock nature of these characters. I think, I think that's something that you can't be too afraid of. I mean, they are stereotypical, and that is a way into the comedy in a lot of ways. But in the playing of it, um, you know, it's like any other role where you have to find the hook in what you identify with. And what I, 
what I focus on is finding the um, contradiction within the character. What's surprising about this stock character? What's something that the audience isn't going to expect about this woman who's, uh, you know, obsessed with the idea that her husband's cheating on her? So finding moments where she breaks that stereotype um, is, I think, a way to make it uh, a little bit more complicated and interesting to watch. And, and how about your character, David? Oh, no, there's nothing complicated about that. <laughs> no. Uh, he's, uh, you know, the, the, the idea of stock character sometimes can turn a lot of people off. Like, it's not vivid, it's not real, but, you know, it's a husband and wife, which in itself, just those names tend to be stock names, and they have a lot of associations with them. No, it, it's, a, it's a good man doing a good job, and, and then he's thrown into a whirlwind, and then they come out a little bit different on the other side. And, and speaking of whirlwinds and, and revolving things, um, can you talk about why this play is possible this year with APT's new stage? Well, I think it's the, the, the turning bed that is now possible on our stage. Just the stage itself is different. The sight lines are different. Um, we have different capabilities with our stage now. And gosh, I wish I could talk about all of them, but I, I'm just amazed <clears throat> at the thought that was put into the new stage. It's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. But what it allows us is a very uber-realistic stage with lots of doors, which you have to have in a farce, entrances and exits that are well-timed. Um, and uh, this bed in the center of the stage in our second act, um, when you press a button on the wall, it revolves into another room. So whoever was on the bed on the other side of that wall will then be in the other room in the bed. <laughs> and you can imagine when you're not expecting that as a person in a hotel room, that might lead to some funny. Uh, and it certainly does in our play. <laughs> it's amazing to think that in 1907 when this play <clears throat> was produced that they could do that. I mean, that they had that techni- technical ability. Oh, oh it's wonderful the, the kind of uh, operations and going on they had during, for special effects in theater at that time. Oh, it's so amazing. It's wonderful. So the play's often done in 1960s costumes, but uh, you're doing it in period dress in the uh, first decade of the 1900s. Can you explain that? Sure. David Frank, who directs the show, he uh, that question was brought to him, and he had a wonderful response. And in the 60s, there was a freedom of sexuality. And even if people weren't experiencing it, it was in the air, and it was uh, maybe not expected, but certainly just allowed you know, there was nothing outrageous about that. And David thought, thought that there was a lot more energy and fun in a society that was very tight and repressed and held together. And then to go to a place where we go to in the play, our, our hotel, where it's all free. And the, the contrast between that very tight, very mannered and elegant, uh, elegant um Society versus the free-flowing nature of sexual escapades. He thought that contrast really drove the play. And then, you know, since we've been rehearsing, I can't imagine it any other way. And I, I found it interesting that, obviously, we talked about the playwright being known for farce, but um, he was living in a time called the Belle Epoque where there was a, an emphasis on fine art and literature, and he was uh, considered to be a promiscuous, cocaine-snorting figurehead of the hedonistic counterculture. <laughs> oh, good for him. <laughs> <laughs> 
So um, that kind of represents a different side of, of culture today too, doesn't it? Well, I mean, look at our... So whatever culture there is, I think the comedians and the artists of that era and the generation, there is a, there's a group of them that earn their living or earn their fame by poking fun at society, by showing its flaws through satire or humor. And Fado certainly was that kind of uh, artist. And what can you tell us about David Frank's adaptation? So, um, gosh, David's been working on this adaptation for years, for years. I think he originally did it, uh, originally not began it, but had a version that he had adapted even in the 90s. And it's kind of a living document. The thing that I know is I'm sure David knows every version of every line that's ever been written in this play. I mean, he knows the original, he knows the David Ives version, but he's been so gracious about allowing us as the actors to make suggestions, to make changes, um, to cut a line here or there. And what I found really important is to investigate the words that are being used, specifically the pejorative language in this play. Um, There were some words that just mean different things now. Um, For instance, the word slut was used in this play, I don't know, 30 times. And that, of course, came from sluttish, meaning lazy in a different time. Now it has a sexual connotation. And you have to ask yourself, is that a word I can laugh at? Or is that a word that takes me out of the story of the play? Um, And so we removed all of those because it wasn't a word that we felt comfortable laughing at. Um, So what did you replace it with? Tart, trollop. Um, I think there's a well-placed whore in there, maybe just one. (laughs) Um, But you can get more creative, and we are a company that loves language. So of course, we're going to be able to create something um, that we just, that is still funny, that is still um, not appropriate, but something that keeps us in the world of the play today. The play itself loves language, and it loves the clashing of language. So one of our our characters is a Spanish speaker, and uh, a lot of humor comes from the clash between the English and the Spanish and trying to translate or understand what he's saying. Another character is missing the soft palate of their mouth, and they can't pronounce any of their consonants. So that's another fun thing. And then... <laughs> Just within the cast, there's still a clash of language, as we found out a couple of days ago. Uh, We have a line in the play where we talk about fancy dress. Fancy dress. And my character in particular says, I can't wait to get out of this fancy dress. And it always bothered me. And finally I went to David, I was like, can we just say something like silly costume? He goes, no, no, I think fancy dress is perfect. It's not a fancy dress, David. It's a bellboy's outfit. He goes, yes. Fancy dress. And I said, David, what do you think fancy dress means? You know, it's like a Halloween costume. (laughs) I said, why would you think, and of course in England, for the Brits, a fancy dress. He said, what would you wear to a fancy dress party? A tie and a jacket? (laughs) And so that, even with David's translation, his adaptation of it, there was still that kind of wonderful banging up of language between his British sensibilities and our American sensibilities of something as innocuous as Fancy dress. Well, we would like to see you in a fancy dress, David. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't yet. I feel like over the course of years, you we must, must have been a fancy There, yeah, there sure. must be. <laughs> there is a freedom to working in translation, isn't there? I mean, if, if this was a playwright who had written in English, you wouldn't have the option of 
changing words as easily, especially obviously if it was a living playwright. Sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. there's rights involved and, and, and all sorts of restrictions when it comes to that. Mm-hmm. What can you tell us, speaking of translation, about the title of the play? Well, a flea in her ear. Um, I don't know. I think it... Uh, uh, I think it confuses a lot of people. Certainly when I introduce the title of the play, people are like, well, I'm not quite sure. Does she have an infestation problem? <laughs> um, I should play with that. I'm going to think about that. <laughs> but the closest thing that I think we have in America would be a bee in her bonnet. It's not ants in your pants. But, you know, that kind of, there is a small critter somewhere on my body. The closest I think we come in America is a bee in a bonnet. So there's something bothering you. So it's a common phrase, or used to be a common, pra- a common phrase, a flea in her ear. It just means that there's, a, mm, there's something bothering you. There's an itch you can't quite scratch. Or an earworm, as we might say, something that's stuck in your head. That- I would never <laughs> say earworm, but yeah. <laughs> sure. Yeah. But the idea that she has gotten it into her mind somehow, that he is, is yes. being unfaithful to yes. her. Indeed. And what is the, the uh, why do we need to see farce today? Oh, my goodness. Well, it's that same idea of, of what can we laugh at? What, are, what can we laugh at and what's actually offensive? And I think in our political climate right now uh, and just in the world, we forget sometimes that laughter is a really good way to heal. And I think there is nothing, we're not apologizing for this play. It's not highbrow. It's not Shakespeare. Um, it's the purpose of this play is to make you laugh and to make you look at stereotypes and to make you look at despicable people in extraordinary circumstances and go, oh man, look at those idiots. That's funny. And there is great value to that. There is great value to that, especially especially today. And thank you so much for making us laugh in a time when laughter is something we all need. Thanks very much. Thank you. Talkbacks to Go is a production of Orange Tree Imports and Audio for the Arts. Our theme music is Err by Steve Tibbetts, and it appears here by permission of the artist, courtesy of ECM Records. Please find us on iTunes and YouTube under APT Talkbacks to Go. With Orange Schroeder, I'm Buzz Kemper. Thank you for listening. <laughs>